This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show. Seven, five, one. You can't cut corners when you're going to burn. You have to get it at a better price. You got to negotiate harder. You have to look for opportunities that you could add value to a property, buying an 1,100 square foot home and making it a 1,900 square foot home. You you really have to be disciplined versus when you're just finding a property that cash flows, you can be lazy. And then 10 years later, it really isn't worth a whole lot more than you paid for it. And you're frustrated because the cash flow didn't work out like you think. So while burn is harder, I still feel like it's safer because it forces you to do real estate the right way. Welcome, everybody, to the biggest, the baddest, the best real estate podcast in all of Apple, Apple Podcast territory and everywhere, all podcasts that exist. <laughs> I'm joined here today by my co-host, Henry Washington and David Green, who are laughing at me in this intro. Gentlemen, how are y'all doing today? I am so much better now. Uh, you should do every <laughs> intro from here on out until the I agree. end of time. I don't get enough practice oh. at, on this. Uh, my routine for this would be like practicing in the mirror, but I just never thought that I'd get the opportunity, so I haven't practiced. But hey, practice makes perfect. Guys, how y'all doing today? Watching you tiptoe through a intro like that because you don't want to have to do it 17 times is the verbal equivalent of a three-year-old trying to avoid the lava walking across. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, because you said I can only do it in one take, so here I am. One one take, Rob. And that's this is what you get. Look at all the laughs that we've provided today. How is everybody doing today? Henry, how you doing, man? I am fantastic. I enjoyed myself on this show. I think we need a new uh, Rob for president. Uh, slash uh, bigger pockets intro uh, extraordinaire. I'm in. David, what about you, man? I know you ha- you're having some technical difficulties over there with the microphone, but it does get better right into the episode. I'm actually in Scottsdale at our property, and we are going to be hosting a retreat out here. So I'm having a good time. I'm going to try to change some lives and make some new relationships. Awesome. Hey, have you gotten uh, have you gotten your eyes on the new pickleball court? It's uh, going in this week. Ooh, I do need to see that. Go go peep it. Our producer said that my mic stopped working because I dropped it too many times during the show. And if that's not a reason to listen to this episode all the way to the end, I don't know what is. Well, let's get into the episode. Today we're talking about Burr. I think we actually have a relatively real conversation about the Burr strategy, if newbie investors should be attempting this strategy, if experienced investors should be attempting this strategy, some of the risks that we should be keeping in mind, and some of the big changes on the horizon Henry, what were some of your favorite parts of today's episode? Yeah, I think I think you nailed it when you said we have a real conversation about it, right? Because I think we we really talk about getting back to the fundamentals of real estate investing, and we share a lot about how the market prior to this year has made us all look like geniuses, and now we've got to really put in the work. And then I think everybody needs to stick around to hear David talk about how he had to refinance a property and what that ended up looking like. Spoiler alert, probably isn't as great as people think, right? So it's it's a real example of what's happening out here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. David, what about you, man? Um, If you guys are looking for a podcast that stops blowing smoke up your backside, I think you've found it. That's not going to happen here at Bigger Pockets. So we get into some real life examples. We talk about uh, the history, the future of real estate investing, ways that we may need to change our expectations, and then some lending regulations that have changed and how we can apply those to the ever-evolving first strategy. So I thought today's episode probably could have been two or three episodes long. There was that mm-hmm. much information that we packed into it, but we got it all in on one show. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to do more real talk 
versions of these with like short term rentals, with wholesaling, with long term investing, all that kind of stuff. I think this would be a really great series. But before we jump into today's episode, David, I'm not going to give you the quick tip today because of your microphone situation. I'm going to actually pass it over to our good friend, the Henry Washington, for today's quick tip. Ooh, point guard Rob dishing the rock. <laughs> I love it. I'll take the assist. So for today's quick tip, during this episode, we talk a lot about buying at a deeper discount or getting a discount on your rental properties. And when you're a new investor, that can seem overwhelming. You may not know how to do it. You may think it's super expensive. You may think it's super uncomfortable. Well, I want to give you two quick tips of things that you can do to help you get better at finding good deals and put the blinders on and not be distracted by everything out there. First, learn what a good deal looks like in your market. Every market's different. Good deals are different in every market. You have to be a market expert. Learn what good deals look like in your market. Once you are comfortable with that, then all you need to focus on is learning one strategy to help you find good deals and you implement that strategy over and over again until you find those deals. Put the blinders on, focus on those two things and it will help you become a better deal finder. Awesome. Well, I say we get right into it, fellas. Let's do this thing. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day, plus Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, 
hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Today we're going to be talking all things Burr in 2023, and I really want to talk about why listeners should care about changing their Burr strategy. You know what what our predictions are for the horizon of 2023, and how should people be thinking differently overall? So I'm joined here by Henry Washington, David Green, very very professional men in the world of the Burr strategy. How's it going, fellas? Great. It's going great, man. I like that you're sitting in the captain's chair. We're getting to see Rob as the pilot of the plane. <laughs> well, I'm just here. Listen, I'm just here to spectate as someone that wants to get into Burr, especially in 2023. Personally, I've got some some things that I want to ask you guys, some things that you guys can help me work through. And hopefully this episode will answer a lot of questions, right, with everything going on the, in the economy today. So I just want to take a step back for people that are at home listening today. For the first time, they may be like, "What is Burr? Is that isn't that whenever you're very cold? I don't I don't know what this means as it pertains to real estate." So, David, can you just walk us through the basic premise of the Burr strategy in real estate? I would be happy to. It's not like I'm asked to do that a hundred times a day for the last five <laughs> years. Thank you, Rob, for the privilege. You're welcome. It's a softball. Yes, thank you, thank you. You got to get some momentum going in these podcasts, right? When I'm not when I'm not hosting <laughs> it, I like how you're getting me the ball early in the first quarter, get me going here. So it's an acronym that it stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. And it really is just the order in which you execute adding value to a property. Traditional rentals, people will buy them and finance them at the time they are buying them. Then they will put money into fixing them up. Then they will rent them out. While the money that you put in the deal to fix it up and your down payment both get stuck in the deal where you can't use that capital to buy more real estate with the Burr method, we buy it. Then we fix it up, making it worth more. Then we rent it out to someone. Then you refinance, getting your capital back out of the deal so that you can put it into the next one and then repeat the process. Okay. All right. So this has been around for a long time, right? I, I got to imagine this is one of the the original real estate concepts out there, right? Yeah. In fact, it's funny that you'll talk to some of these OGs in the game and they'll explain the Burr method without knowing we have an acronym now. And I'm like, you got to listen to our podcast because you could have said that whole thing in just one word instead of having to explain it. <laughs> yeah, but if you're like real OG and you're like super experienced, you're like, you knew what the Burr model was before there was an acronym. And I think that's its own special badge of honor, if you ask me. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, people were doing this for long before we came up with the word Burr. It was actually Brandon Turner that coined it. He's always good at coming up with clever names that people can remember. Then I wrote the book about it, but I definitely didn't come up with this system. I just sort of explained how to do it in the book. And then at Bigger Pockets, we've spread the message and it was really popular for a while. And now as rates have risen, it's become a little bit harder to execute because the price that you paid for the house at the rate that you got when you bought it is often lower than what you would refinance into. And nobody likes refinancing from a lower rate into a higher rate. It is very difficult to do. It is like going from the spa into the pool. If you've ever been in that scenario, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We like to do it the other way around where you start in the pool and then you go get in the spa. Can you tell us a little bit about why listeners should care about changing their birth strategy and, and maybe how they should be doing things differently in 2023 overall? Well, the main reason that people should care about the birth strategy is because I wrote a book about it and <laughs> I don't want that to become irrelevant. The second reason is that normally I host this podcast they're listening to and I do the whole thing in one take. 
But with Rob as the captain, there's probably going to be about 40, <laughs> maybe 50 times he asks for the editor to come in to be perfect. And Burr's not perfect. It's never meant to be perfect. That's one of the misconceptions <laughs> about it. People think they have it's to. Perfect. Get, it's perfect. Yeah. They think That's they right. have to get 100% of their money out of the deal for it to be a good Burr. And that is not the case, which we are going to talk about today. But in all, in all seriousness, the reason I think Burr is relevant is we don't know what's going to happen with the other ways people make money in real estate. So there's many ways you make money in real estate. Cash flow is one of them. Buy and hold real estate is incredibly difficult to, to do right now. It doesn't mean it can't be done. It's just much harder than it has been. There's a lot more competition and most Burr projects are going to end up with buy and hold real estate. So you can't make it work non-Burr, makes it hard to work with Burr. You also don't know that the market's going to keep appreciating. You don't know if the area that you buy in is going to go up. You don't know if we're going in a recession so that the typical way that you make money by real estate appreciating over time might be a while before we see it. Well, what Burr does is it forces you to add value to what you buy. It makes you force equity, which is one thing no one can ever take away from you. You always have the ability to add value to a property that you buy. You also always have the ability to buy it below market value. Burr still works for those two things. That's one reason that I like the strategy right now. Okay. All right. And Henry, what about you? I mean, I know that you have, you're a relatively experienced Burr uh you, you may not have written the Burr Bible by David Green, but I know that you've executed a lot of birds. You're probably going to do at least 20, 20 or so birds this year. So how should uh, the listeners at home be thinking differently in 2023 as it pertains to executing like a full-on burr? Well, I think the biggest change is the seasoning period has changed. So what is a seasoning period at, in the burr world? And then what are the big changes that we've seen in the, in the seasoning periods? Well, the seasoning period in general is just the length of time that the bank says that you have to hold that property before you can access the equity through some sort of refinance or restructure, right? We have to remember banks are in the business of making money. They make money through interest payments. And if you buy a property and then refinance it immediately, well, they didn't really make much money other than the fees that it cost you to create that loan. So they want you to hold the loan longer, right? And that means you're going to have to hold these properties longer if you buy them on a conventional loan because you can't now refinance after six months. You have to wait for 12 months. And so that could limit uh, your ability to buy a burr. It could cost you more money. Some people like to buy properties with hard money, which is frick frack and expensive, right? Like there's tons of fees. The interest is higher. And your carrying costs are essentially higher. And if you now have to wait an extra six months, that's six more months of expensive interest payments that you're making, right, uh, before you can refinance. Right. So if I can just boil this down very simply, let's say that your hard money loan is 10%, which seems to be standard. Maybe it's a little bit more. Maybe it's a little less. And you are borrowing $100,000 at 10% over the course of a year you're going to be paying about $10,000 in interest. And let's say that you did a burr with, with that budget. You typically have six months to refi out of that. And if you do, that means that you're paying less interest at 10%. So it behooves you to try to refi as fast as possible so that you're not getting hammered by a 10% interest rate. And the big change that we're seeing right now is that you basically have to hold your, your hard money or your, your note with the bank for an entire year. And because of that, you're now paying a lot more interest. Did I get any of that right or did I totally butcher this? David, I know that you are a, you know, you, you own the one brokerage, you're a mortgage guy, kind of. Uh, take, what's your take on this? David, the kind of mortgage <laughs> guy green. 
<laughs> Thank you for that that nice backhanded compliment. Let me just put on my white glove. Well, listen, you are not technically a loan officer, and we don't want people to think that. That is a great point. And this is not mortgage advice. No, I think actually I technically, this is what's weird. I technically am a loan officer. However, I let my license expire, and I own a mortgage company. So I have all the credentials, but they're just like hanging on the wall, and I don't use any of them. So you're right. That's what you mean by kind of. I know what you meant. Any opportunity that I have to make you look like you insulted me, though, I'm absolutely going to take advantage of it. So, the kind of mortgage guy. <laughs> the kind of mortgage guy. Uh, yeah, so basically, if you're financing into a conventional loan, and there is any loan on the property at all, you're going to have to wait 12 months instead of six months. If there's no lien on the property, you paid cash for it, or no lien was recorded, and there's no one that has to be paid off, that's different. You can sometimes get around the 12 month and just wait six months to season it. Or if you're financing into a non-QM, non-qualified mortgage product, so not Fannie Mae, not Freddie, not VA, not FHA, some of like the DSCR loans that we do or other loan products, you can get around the 12 month seasoning that way too. Interesting. Well, that that seems pretty uh that seems pretty significant because it's effectively in, in the worst case scenario doubling your your holding costs. So, I know you're sort of doing some of this right now, but are there any solutions that either of you have seen to this problem, the seasoning thing? Is there any way around it or is it just like it is what it is right now? What about you, Henry? I mean, it's their requirements, right? So, it is what it is. Like you yeah. have to abide by what they're telling you that needs to be done. So, you have to either figure out a way to buy a property where you can cover the holding costs long enough. So uh, either you're buying at a deep enough discount or you're being creative about what you're doing with the property to produce more cash flow, but you're going to have to hold it longer. So you're going to need to be able to pay for it. Don't you just love the way Henry explained things? Henry had a way Mm -hmm. of saying things so I could understand them. I like that. Yeah. Um, that's a great point. One of the, it does see, it doesn't affect certain investors like me because I can't get conventional loans anymore. So I'm not using conventional financing in any of my rentals because I have more than 10. So I have to use non-QM products like the DSCR loan. So it's not affecting me when I'm doing burrs. I think a good way to look at it, instead of saying, well, we got ripped off. We used to have to wait six months. Now we have to wait 12 months. Well, there was never an entitlement that we were allowed to just like only have to wait six months. You're getting a lot of money from another person. And yes, that's how the golden rules are, right? The one that has the gold makes the rules. And you get to come up with how you want your underwriting uh, guidelines to be when you're the one who's lending the money on this. So you can get around it somewhat easily if you go to a mortgage broker and you just use another product, but you're not going to get the absolute very best cream of the crop rate. If people think that they're entitled to the best rate you could possibly get, this is very frustrating. It's very vexing. It feels unfair. If you understand that conventional financing is actually sweetened itself, it doesn't normally uh, apply. It's only because the government has subsidized these GSEs to provide conventional financing like this that we even get these really low rates makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, I think I think people don't realize, too, that, yes, there is a way to get around it. You're just not going to use a conventional loan, right? And so if you're buying it on hard money, uh, you can also refinance into a 30-year fixed with hard money. A lot of people don't realize hard money lenders have 30-year fixed rate products. Now, the interest rate is going to be a little higher than a conventional, like a point, point and a half higher. But you're getting 30-year fixed and you don't have the seasoning period unless – that hard money lender has a seasoning period requirement, which you will just have to check with them. So I I do want to uh, play a, a little devil's advocate because I think you, me, and all three of us, basically, we're all professional investors. This is what we do. We've scaled up to basically like conventional isn't something that we can do or have done in a long time. 
But for someone just getting started out, like a newbie investor that really depends on the on the conventional route, you know, do you feel like this is a pretty substantial impact? Like David, when you were getting started in your flipping journey and your bird journey, would the six to twelve month seasoning period jumping like that have been detrimental to your growth and your scaling? Maybe. So I didn't I got around the six month seasoning period when I was new by not using conventional financing, what I was doing was refinancing into a credit line at a regional bank. So I would put my cash up, or I didn't do this, but you easily could borrow money from someone else to buy the house and finance the construction. When it was done, I would refi at 75% of the appraised value through a credit line at a bank. And when that credit line got to a million, then I would refinance out of that into a blanket mortgage, free up the credit line, and I would start again. So at no point was I ever using conventional financing even when I was eligible to be using it just because I didn't want to have to wait. But at the same time, is there a huge rush right now that you need to get your money out exactly six months after you spend it? Is there so many great deals that your money just sitting there burning a hole in your pocket and you got to put it into action right now? Henry, what do you think? Uh, yes, I think there are plenty of great deals out there. If you know how to look, The 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 I think the dilemma is most new investors – don't have the infrastructure or the budget to be able to to fund to have that consistent deal flow. So I, I do want to piggyback off of what David said is that I I also have never really used conventional products even when I was a newbie. And so I you know I, I don't want newbies to think that you have to start off using a conventional or an FHA uh, loan to buy an investment property, unless you're going to house hack it, then you should totally use those products. But if you're buying it as a pure investment, there's plenty of other loan options for you. I also leveraged small local banks to fund my deals. I would buy, I would buy residential properties on commercial loans at a small local bank, which are an adjustable rate. So you typically have a three to five year adjustable rate period. And then I can refinance those into a 30-year fixed on hard money, right? So you're avoiding the Fannie Freddie loans altogether by going that route. And yes, you're going to pay a little more fees and you'll probably pay a higher interest rate. But you get to get around this six months of seasoning, 12 months of seasoning. Okay. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I think that the rising interest rates... That's the big topic right now, right? Like interest rates are going up and people are predicting that they'll probably go up again um, and probably again. So I think that basically, you know, it's leading to this discussion of how has the economy shifted and what are some of the new risks that investors should be mindful of getting into the real estate, but specifically executing Burr right now? Do you have any thoughts on that, Henry? Yeah, I mean... Look, guys, can I, mean, can I just be real with people? Yes, please. You hear all the time, burr doesn't work, burr's not working, I can't find a burr. And that's probably true. If your method for finding a burr deal is hopping on the MLS and sifting through what's out there and then buying it at the value that it's listed at and then trying to add value to it and refinance it, like it's not going to work like that. Interest rates are higher, which are causing your debt service payments to cost more, which is killing your cash flow, right? And if you're buying it on the market, unless you have a strategy for buying on market deals at a lower price point, then you're typically not going to buy with equity. You won't be able to force enough appreciation to get the equity. So obviously you can't refinance when the time comes. Like if you want to burr guys, you're going to have to learn how to buy deeper, right? You're going to have to learn how to buy off market deals 
you're going to have to learn to uh, underwrite your deals, evaluate what a good deal looks like, and then figure out a way to find those deals off market. I think there's a lot of... Well, hold on. Henry, can you can you just clarify, buy deeper? Yep. What does that mean exactly? I Contextually, I think you mean like you really have to go searching far and wide for your deals? Yeah. I, buy deeper means buying at a deeper discount, right? So okay. if you okay. want Burr to work... Obviously, you need to buy it at a price point where you can afford to fix up the property, right? And then you force the appreciation through fixing it up, and then you refinance it at its new, higher appreciated value, right? And then you can pull that cash out with that cash out refinance. So in order to do that, you've got to be able to buy at a discount. And in order to buy at a discount, you're going to have to have a strategy in place for buying on the market properties at a discount, meaning something like, you know, taking everything that's been on the market for 30 days or more and then offering half of what they're asking, right? You're shooting your shot on multiples, hoping you get somebody to come back and, and counter offer you, right? And then you're in this conversation about buying at a discount, or you're going to have to look off market, meaning properties not listed on the MLS. And when you're buying off market, you're typically buying a situation, right? And so when you say buying a situation, it means there's something that's causing this seller to need to sell at a discount and not sell on the open market for retail value, meaning they're going to trade time for price. And you have to get good at learning how to find those things and find those situations. And you asked about how are the economic times impacting this birth strategy? Well, in tougher economic times, that creates more potential situations where people may need to sell at a discount. And so if you can get good at finding those, you can buy them at the discount and then you're able to do a burr. So can you do a burr? Yes. It's, it's going to take more work, guys. It's just, I think that right now is not a great time to hop on the MLS, find a deal that works as a burr. Okay. All right. So if I'm hearing this correctly, it, it was a, that was a, a journey because basically you're saying it is harder to do this right now, but that means that you have to, but it is possible, but you have to work a lot harder than we had to work in the last couple of years. But on the flip side, because of the you know the pending threat of a recession, for example, that's creating a seller's market that's a little more desperate to offload their houses because the general population, there's more situations that are being created where people just need cash, so they're willing to take a, a deeper discount. Correct. 100%. David, what about you, man? I know that you are undergoing a ton of burrs and flips at the moment. Has your strategy changed in a way that uh, maybe isn't super consistent with how you were doing it when you first got started? Yeah, the volume's down. But I think one of the errors I think people make when it comes to Burr is they compare the Burr strategy to an acquisition strategy. Like, are you going to do sub two? Are you going to do off market? Are you going to do Burr? And though that's not an apples to apples comparison. You really need to compare Burr to just buying a traditional property. Are you going to put a bunch of money down and try to get something close to turnkey? Or are you going to buy a fixture where you want to recycle your capital back out of the deal? Most burrs end up being buy and hold deals. If they weren't, they become a flip if you get rid of it. And buying a buy and hold deal is very hard right now. You can't just go on the MLS and look what out there and pay market price for a house and think you're going to cash flow. You're competing with people that don't, are not investors at all. They just want a house to live in that want these same assets. And that 7 8% interest rate to them, it's a bummer, but it doesn't kill the deal because they don't need it to cash flow. They just need to make more sense than renting. In most cases, owning makes more sense than renting. As investors, we have an added burden of wanting to get a good deal and wanting it to cash flow and wanting it to appreciate. 
So like Henry said, we're going to have to work harder. So if buy and hold real estate itself is difficult, well, of course, Burr is going to be difficult as well. I think the Burr strategy works for all of the different acquisition models. So what Henry's doing, he's looking for off-market deals. It works great to Burr them instead of just hold them because he can get his cash out of that property and have more to deploy into the next deal. As far as like what's happening in my portfolio that you mentioned, I find that I buy the best properties and pay the best price if I make it a burr. You can't cut corners when you're going to burr. You have to get it at a better price. You got to negotiate harder. You have to look for opportunities that you could add value to a property, buying an 1,100 square foot home and making it a 1,900 square foot home. You you really have to be disciplined versus when you're just finding a property that cash flows, you could be lazy. You could just go buy some turnkey property that you think is going to make you money. You pay more than you should have. You don't do anything to make it better. And then 10 years later, it really isn't worth a whole lot more than you paid for it. And you're frustrated because the cash flow didn't work out like you think. So while Burr is harder, I still feel like it's safer because it forces you to do real estate the right way. Yeah, that, that makes sense. But are there any new risks right now with this current economy? I mean, I think personally, like the, the way we're describing everything... I think you, me, and Henry, we can all probably break even on a lot of our properties, and we're good to just add that to the portfolio. If there's some cash flow, great, we get the tax benefits. But right now, you know, it seems like penciling out a deal is a lot harder. And so, for someone just getting started on their first deal, is there any kind of like huge red flag for just like a newbie that that really wants to do this in 2023, or do you do you, do you find it to be the same level of risk? Well, the biggest risk would be when you're evaluating what the property is going to, how it's going to perform after the refinance. So you're looking at your interest rate as a big part of what your mortgage payment is going to be. Your mortgage payment is probably going to be your biggest expense in the house. If you write it at 6% and rates are at 7.5% when it's time to refinance, that can catch you off guard. So on deals that are kind of slim on the cash flow side, yeah, that's a, a bigger risk for a long time, maybe an eight-year run there. Rates were pretty much going down every time they moved. So you were just getting like an extra juicy deal. If your bird took too long to get going, well, you just got a better uh, appraisal because it was worth more and you got a lower interest rate. So it made the whole thing easier. It's kind of the winds were at your back. Now you got winds in your face a little bit more, just like with all of real estate. So I think that's the biggest risk that you're going to be mm. taking. On the other side, if rates go up and the value of homes go down, when you go to refinance, your appraisal might be lower than what you were expecting it to be when you ran your initial number. So just keeping in mind that the value of real estate is a moving target target because it moves with the economy. It moves with the market. And it might be less favorable for you when you get done with your bird than it was when you bought it. I think that's I think that's totally fair. I I actually think that's probably the biggest risk personally. Um because I mean, are there scenarios where the hard money or the private money or like the bridge loan interest is actually cheaper than the refi interest. Do you think that scenario has played out for anybody? Yeah, that just happened to me, actually. Badly. Really? Yeah. I just had to refinance out of a 9% hard money loan into a 10.75% 30-year fixed. Whoa. And that was not fun. Wow. On a $2 million property. Yeah. And, and because it's a bridge loan or like a hard money loan, it's not like you can just keep paying that. It, it, it balloons or it matures at a, after a year or something, right? That's right. So that's it's kind of like musical chairs when the music shuts off and the only chair that I could sit in was a 10.75% interest rate chair. That was not the chair that I was looking for. 
That's like the little kid's preschool chair that you're barely fitting in. I wanted a nice lazy boy and I ended up getting like a little plastic one with one of the legs missing. And now I'm trying to balance on that thing. And that is part of the risk that you're taking when you take these kind of deals on. Now, for the last 10 years before this, the chairs just got better and more comfy and more cushiony and chair technology had inclined and I was getting my Al Bundy on. And it's changed a little bit. Now I'm like the guy in those uh, phone commercials who's talking to the kindergartners at the table and they're not as comfortable as chairs. So yeah, that does happen. It can happen. It is something you have to be aware of. Okay. So we see the risks here, right? That that to me seems to be the one that's we're all staring at is refining into a higher rate. Are there any tips that you can offer newer investors that are that are doing this right now that maybe in this same scenario uh, and I'll open this up to both of you guys. I know both of you are doing uh, a burrs right now, but it, any tips that you can offer, Henry? You know, Rob, I wish there was a, a a magic pill or a super, you know, super secret loan product. Very few people know about that's going to have a lower interest rate. But <laughs> at the at the end of the day, there's not right. And so, what's your biggest protection against? these uh it's well when you're in a situation like david your loans do like you have to come into you have to find a new product right so your your options are limited there really your only insulation is um equity in the deal meaning that you bought it at a, at a very deep discount and so you can afford to just keep it in whatever loan product you bought it in if it isn't coming due and just pay the additional fees because you you've got it you've got a big enough discount that maybe you're breaking even, right? Maybe you're feeding it a hundred bucks a month, but you're getting the, you're getting the tax benefits and the other ancillary benefits, right? It's not pretty, but it could be the best option that you have if you don't want to go into like a 10 or 11%. That's the same way I sell myself on the dating market, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The other option is uh, like, for example, right now I have a property where I bought it on a uh, adjustable rate three, uh, a three-year adjustable rate, it's coming due right now. And I can't find a 30-year product that I want to put it into for an interest rate that I like. So we're putting it right back into another three-year adjustable rate, but it's a lower interest rate. So I can get it at seven and a quarter instead of going into a 30-year at hard money at 10%, right? And so um, I'm biding my time in hopes that in three years that interest rates aren't at you know 20%, right? And then I'm in, sure. a, I'm in a worse position. But if it's adjustable though, is that not a big risk? Could it not go higher than the seven and a half percent within the three years? No, it's fixed for three. Oh, oh, I see, I see. Okay. Yes. Well, then seven and a half doesn't really. That seems pretty standard for what we're seeing right now, right? Yep. Right. That's so. That's why we just said, okay, instead of taking this one and putting it on a thirty-year, which is what we liked to do when the market was nice to us and the chairs were comfortable, like David said, <laughs> lazy boys. <laughs> when when I was refinancing into ergonomic lazy boys with massage <laughs> massage seat inserts and heated and cooled uh, with. Uh, with cup holders that are like ice chests. Uh, now I'm just going to go ahead and put it right back on another adjustable for three years at seven and a quarter. And uh, hopefully things change. Honestly, I would, I would probably take that seven. And a half. If I can get seven and a half percent right now, I'm probably not going to shop around too much. Right. Listeners. I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like rent ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. 
That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor to get six months of rent ready for $1. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day, plus Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with creditworthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to Fundrise.com pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. Let's talk about things that used to work with a burr that don't necessarily work right now. And I think, for, for example, like the 1% rule, that was sort of the, the golden standard for a very, very, very long time. Does that still 
does that one percent rule still work, or are there new rules of thumb that y'all are using to analyze your your deals before you make an offer? I never liked the one percent rule. Decimal. Yeah. Every time I did the math on one percent, it was just barely breaking even, and so I always shot for two percent, one and a half at a minimum. And so I, I mean, I think now you, can, now you got to be at least one and a half to two percent if you're, you know, if you're going to make money. But, uh, you, know, you know, again, it's the same. It's the same problem, right? We're still looking at how do we make these deals pencil from a cash flow perspective, and it's harder, right? And so it's that you know, I'm, I feel like I'm one of those broken records right now. But the only way, and the only way I've ever found cash flow. Even when one percent rule was the super cool thing to do, the only way I've ever found cash flow was finding deeper discounts. Was finding a way to buy properties at a deeper discount. It's just now I'm not finding cash flow. I'm just like offsetting higher interest rates. Right? They just don't pay me as much. <laughs> yeah, David. What about you? What, did you have any heart for the one percent rule back in the day? It was a good, uh, I still use it in my head. I don't make yes. it a criteria of a deal. But if you came to me and said, hey, David, they got a house right here. I think you should buy it. The first question I would say is, well, how much is it and how much will it rent for? And if those numbers weren't close to 1%, it's just, no, I don't want to. I mean, that's really how I think it's meant to be used. It's more of a guideline than like, it's not really uh, 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 something you hang on the wall to be proud of. Like, oh, look <laughs> at it. It's, it's 1% and it's got all these other things. When I looked at the 1% rule, there was two patterns that stood out to me. The first is that when rates were as low as they were, you could be flexible off of a hard 1% and it would it would cash flow more, right? Because like the interest rate matters, but that was never included in the 1% rule. So every price range has like a break even where the 1% rule works at 7%, 8%, 9%. When they go down to 3.5%, a lot more will work even if they're not right on the 1% rule. The other thing is that I found as prices got higher, you got a little more flexibility with the 1% rule. And by that, I mean, if it's a $50,000 house, it has to rent for 500 a month or don't even consider it. But if it's a $900,000 house, it doesn't need to rent for nine grand a month. You're like never going to find that. So the higher price points, that 1% number starts to become looser, right? You can make a deal work at 7,500 a month if it's a $900,000 house. I think both of you could agree that's that sounds good on cash flow right off the bat just thinking about it so one of the ways that i sort of pivoted when I, the market got hot was i just went into higher price points i went into markets where i knew it was going to be better long-term appreciation to be a safer overall investment there's gonna be less competition from other investors the one percent rule wasn't as important and if you time it right i could get a luxury property or just a more expensive property with a buyer that got scared it's a nine hundred thousand dollar property but jerome powell's talk about the fed increasing rates again and they're they're hearing news about Donald Trump getting arrested and the economy going into a depression and they're like I'll let this thing go for 675 if you could pay me cash cash and close in 2 weeks. So um I just took the same principles that we're using and used them where the air was a little thinner. I got a little bit higher up the mountain. Now I understand not every single investor can do that. But when you understand these patterns that are behind these rules like the 1% rule, you have a little bit of flexibility and and freedom to to work things out without adhering to it strictly. But as towards your question, Rob, if you're still just looking on Zillow at stuff that's out there and saying, I'm going to keep looking for a 1% property, your battery is going to die on your mouse before you find it. <laughs> Not on the easy. mouse. The battery on the mouse. That'll take you a while. <laughs> I mean, and, and this is a really, this is, I think, a really big sticking point, Henry, because what you're saying is so true and so obvious, like buy at a deeper discount. 
who is going to argue with you, right? Well, yeah, if I get a cheaper house, the the chances of it working out is is great. But you say it casually because you're you're a sniper at this, right? Like you're very, very, very good at this. But like it takes a lot of work to go off MLS and you know search these properties, find people with situations, make offensively low offers, get them accepted, and. I think that's I think that's the hard part, not just for new investors who don't know really how to do that, unless they follow you on Instagram. <laughs> great, great, great. But there's also the new investors, right? There's people like me and a lot of other people and a lot of listeners that I would imagine we cut our teeth doing that, and it kind of feels like we have to go back into the trenches and work a lot harder than we did the last like five years, right? Yeah, you do. When did we like? When did people decide? that real estate investing or building wealth was easy. It's not easy, guys. Yeah, it was easy the last five years, but not not easy, but like it was doable. It's not supposed to be easy. Let me get your guys' take on this. Here's why I think we got all messed up. And I just want to hear if you guys think I'm off or if I might be onto something. This became really popular around 2010 when we had just had a huge crash. Real estate was on sale Everybody needed a place to rent and the economy went nowhere but up from money being printed and rates going lower and lower. So when we first got into this whole thing, podcasts started getting popular, books started coming out about real estate investing. You were buying it for half of what it had been worth a couple years ago. Everything out there cash flowed for the most part, <laughs> right? You just had to use a calculator and see which one's going to cash flow the most. That was the game we were playing is I could get a 12% return, a 15% or a 20%. I had to know how to run numbers to find which one was the better deal. But it wasn't about avoiding buying a property that's going to lose money because very few properties out there were losing money. And then we thought that was normal, that this was just how it was supposed to work. You're like, if I could finally convince somebody to buy a house instead of a new car, you could hit financial freedom in a couple of years. It was that easy. And we thought that was the baseline of what it was supposed to be. Yeah. And more and more people got into the game and real estate actually kind of balanced out. There's some competition. We now are talking about it being hard, but this is how it's been for the entire time before now. There's so many more people that are in the game. I think we just got used to playing on easy mode and now we're now it's a normal game and we're like, what the heck? I gotta count my bullets. I can't just spray and pray and the game's <laughs> a little bit tougher. Do you guys think it's more complicated than that? Or do you think that might be a part of this? No, I think that's I mean, I think a large part of it. I'm not gonna speak for Henry, but I I do think it's like we could put in a, a good amount of work and get a great return, and now we have to put in a lot of work to get a okay or a great return. And it's like uh, it's like an ego check, I think, for a lot of investors that they don't want to do it. Yep, I think I think that's very hard for some of us to accept. David, I think you're spot on, and you know, I think the distinction that I want to make um, here is, you know, I don't want to just say, "Hey, new investors, you're not going to be able to just go buy a bird." What I want to say is, "Hey, new investors, you got to go work hard, right?" to get to build the wealth and the financial freedom that you're that you're looking for. Right. It's going to take some work. It's not as much work as people think it is, though, Rob. Like once you start doing the work and you start to learn, hey, what does a good deal look like in my market? And then what's one strategy that I can implement to find those deals and just go hard at that strategy until it starts producing results? Like it's not that hard. 
it's just going to take a little bit of a learning curve on the front side. And so what I want the distinction that I want to make is, you know, it's not just new investors. Don't go do this. I think what we're saying is if you're going to be an investor, you're going to have to work hard. If you're going to be a casual investor, it's not as easy to do that. Burr's probably not the greatest strategy for the casual investor right now. Okay. That's good. And I always say that my, my little phrase is it, real estate is not hard, but it is hard work. And some people just don't want to do the hard work, but it definitely for people that want to do it, it's out there. So you, you kind of answered my question, but David, I guess I'll toss it to you, which is should new investors be doing Burr right now? It depends on your timeline. So when we first taught Burr, we sort of gave this ideal execution and said, here's how it works. It was similar to house hacking. We'd say, okay, you buy a duplex, you live in one half and rent out the other half. It was just to understand how house hacking works. But then people would say, well, what if you want to do it with a triplex? Am I allowed to do that? <laughs> it doesn't have to be exactly the way that it was described. Burr doesn't have to be in six months, you get 100% of your capital out. You can do a Burr over 12 months or over 18 months. You can buy a property, put some tenants in there, start making some money, wait for it to be vacant, wait for the right time in your life, go add an ADU, go build out more of the property, go finish the basement, then put some more tenants in there, increase your cash flow, wait for rates to go where you want them to go, boom, hit your refinance. 18 months later, you've got your capital back. Maybe the property's appreciated some. Now you can move on and you could get your next deal. Nothing ever said it had to be a sprint where you were buying a property every single six months on the dot, trying to scale a portfolio so that you could retire in three years. I know your your mic is mounted, but you could you feel free to drop it. Just tip it over. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. What are you thinking, Henry? I was just trying to think of how much of a nightmare it would be at a time trying to buy a house every every six months. Like it just it doesn't work like that. Guys. Check check my uh, my Instagram DMs and you'll see a lot of people asking that very quick <laughs> yeah, for a long time. Like it took seven months. What did I do wrong? <laughs> <laughs> no, what you did was real estate. Great job. Yeah. <laughs> so so final speed round here, Henry. Are you currently doing any any burrs? Uh, yes, I will do them. You will do them. Okay, cool. And then, uh, David, what about you? Yeah, I got a couple going on right now. What I did this time around, other than the one property I told you about that was the hard money loan, I only made that mistake once. And then I realized, ooh, this could go wrong. So luckily, I stopped the bleeding before it got worse. On the next three or four that I bought, I did it a little bit differently. I didn't buy it with private money. I didn't buy it with uh, hard money. Well, I did use private money for the down payment, but I got a 30-year fixed loan when I bought it. I just borrowed money for the down payment, used my money for the rehab. So now that it's getting done, I choose at what point I want to pull the trigger on the refinance. I don't have to because I have like a 6% interest rate on those properties. So if rates are at 8 or 9 10%, I just won't refinance it. I'll wait. And when rates come back down and I want, I've, I still added the value to the property, but it's sort of like I primed it and now I just wait. I let it sit there and it sits as equity on the balance sheet. It doesn't become capital in my bank account, but that's okay. I don't need to. I can wait for the rates to drop and then boom, make it work for me. So just like I just said, stretching out that timeline and getting into it with a fixed rate instead of getting into it with an adjustable rate or a balloon payment was one way that I mitigated risk. And I think other people can too. Okay. All right. Um, that, that sounds all good to me. I'm Kurt. Someone tossed me a, a pretty, a pretty spicy burr in my inbox today, a wholesaler for a million dollars and the ARVs 1.5. So I'm penciling it out. I still want to kind of go after some of these, uh, these bigger deals in LA now that I feel like sellers are becoming a little bit more reasonable. Um, but final question and then we'll wrap it up. Overall thoughts on Aaron Burr. <laughs> <laughs> Good, bad. We out on him. 
Every time I hear Aaron Burr's name, I don't think of Hamilton. I think of that Got Milk commercial where the peanut butter <laughs> and jelly. Is, poo. All right. All you have to do is answer this one question <laughs> yeah. and you'll win $1 million. Poo. Uh, <laughs> go look up uh, Aaron Burr commercial on YouTube and you'll have a good laugh. Um, so just to kind of summarize everything, guys, it sounds like. Burr is still a viable option for anybody, really, but specifically newbies. It's just a lot harder than it was, and you sort of have to gear up, you know, get get your uh, your teams and get everybody ready to work because you know twenty twenty three isn't particularly going to be easy, but it will be possible for those that actually want to put in the work. Any other thoughts there? No, I totally agree. You're absolutely right. You're going to have to figure out a way to buy properties at a deeper discount. And you're going to have to work harder, guys. Like, it, burrs are there. They work. You're just going to have to buy them right, right? That's it. But, I mean, that's the foundation of any real estate strategy. It's like the, the rules haven't changed for buying real estate. It's just harder to do now. We had it easy for a long time where if you bought wrong, it looked like you bought right because you just had to wait 24 <laughs> months and you looked smart, right? Uh, there was a lot of ways that you could be bad at this. It was like the rim was bigger, frankly. If you're just like playing basketball, they give you a really big rim or, you know, you're playing on a, on an eight foot tall hoop and you thought you, you were a lot better than you were. And now we're playing a regulation. And I know no one wants to hear that, but that is why Burr is harder. It's why everything's harder. Short-term rentals are harder. Risk is up. Reward is down. The whole thing is tough. The reason we still do it, the reason everyone's still in it, guys, because think about this. If it was a bad time to buy real estate, no one else would be buying it. And there'd be a lot more easy deals for people like us to find. There aren't a lot of good deals because people are still buying these properties. And it's because there's nowhere else that's better to put your money. You're not going to do as good in crypto or NFTs as people did. The stock market is very risky. It's You can't keep it in the bank. A lot of people are taking money out of the banks, right? Like If the whole road is uphill, it doesn't matter which car you choose to go uphill, whether it's all of the different strategies we talk about on these podcasts, they're all going to have a harder time than what they did before. So just keep that in mind that though this isn't as easy as it was, it, it, to our opinion, at least, it's still vastly superior than to every other option that you have out there that is somewhat remote passive incomes that involves leveraging money to be able to buy it. Boom. Mm, yeah, tip that uh, that microphone back on the desk, man. I know you just picked it up. Um, all right, guys. Well, um, I know I can tell everybody where to find y'all. Uh, find Henry Washington over at the real Henry Washington on Instagram, and you can find David Green at David Green twenty four. Not not for any particular reason other than that other 23 other David Greens beat him to it. David Green 24 or his new website, uh, davidgreen24.com or on YouTube at the real David Green. No, David, David Green, Green Real Estate. At David Green 24. Uh, and I'm, and yeah, I'm, you'd be David Green Real Estate. You're right, Rob. But now and I'm at... I'm at the Henry Washington. So there's. What did I say? I said I said the Henry Washington. You said the real Henry Washington, and the real Henry Washington is probably a fake Henry Washington. So you tell me. Oh, okay. All right, and you can find me at Rob Elt. Do you ever say it as the Henry Washington, like you're from Ohio State University? Uh, only when I'm talking to anybody who played for the University of uh, Miami, Florida, or Ohio State. There you go. Do you do you ever say it in like an old English accent, like the real Henry Washington? I, I, no, I've never done that. <laughs> Rob, I don't think anyone else knows that that's supposed that to be old English. That just like sounds like an old man. Every time, like just an old man. It's an old. Well, I said old. <laughs> sounds like Homer old dad. comma English. <laughs> All right. Well, Dave, do you want to close us out? 
Yeah, very much. Thank you guys for joining me on the show. Rob, you did a great job piloting here. Thank we you. only had about 72 corrections for our editing team. <laughs> Hopefully we get this to you guys before 2024. We're using virtual assistants, so we might need a whole army to get through it. But uh, I think that it came out great. Thank you guys. I really appreciate the advice that you gave and being here with me. This is David Green for Henry, the real Henry Washington and Rob Old Man Solo. Signing off. And David, the kind of mortgage broker. (laughs) There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily boot camp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the small multifamily boot camp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.